Well, about 15 and a half years ago, my first son, our first child, Levi, was born. And Levi's birth was very difficult for me, okay? Now, I know you're probably, well, what about Darby? Listen, forget about Darby, okay? It was difficult on me, all right? It was difficult for me. It was hard on me. Like, I'm sitting there. She's on this table. There's a a doctor sticking a needle about this long into her back, and I'm watching this happen, and I start getting woozy. Like, I start, like, lifting my legs up. Like, I'm going ghost white. And everybody in the room, Darby, you can imagine, just loved this right? But everybody in there, all their attention turns to me. She's the pregnant woman on the table, right? About to give birth. And the doctors and the nurses are coming over to me and they're like, sir, we need you to sit down. They're like checking my vitals. They're getting me some water. They're getting me a snack, you know, whatever, because I was about to pass out and she's the pregnant one right there on the table, right? that, that, That epidural needle just totally freaked me out. And then if that wasn't enough, they get it into her back and her leg starts twitching like this. And I was like, oh geez. And you know, almost went down all over again. It was a disturbing experience to say the least. Now the conception, like that's always amazing, right? The conception's amazing, right? The birth itself was a miracle. I didn't have a problem with that. Like, I, I, I love that. That was miraculous to me. The reception, on the other hand, of a new baby can sometimes be disturbing. Like, news of Jesus' impending birth was disturbing to many people. It was disturbing to Mary. Well, you're going to see in the passage today, it was disturbing to Joseph, right? It was disturbing to a man by the name of Herod who believed himself to be a king himself. It was disturbing to him. Why? Why why was the news of Jesus's impending birth, the, the, the birth of this baby boy, like what was so disturbing to so many about the birth of this child? Last Sunday, we talked a little bit about the backstory, right, of the Christmas story. Tonight, we're going to be looking at the Christmas Story. So if you got your Bible, open up to Luke chapter one, Luke chapter one, the verses are going to be on the screen here in just a second. And as you're turning there, I think most of our kids got a little coloring sheet. If you're a kid and you got your sheet, put it up in the air. Let me see it real quick. Let me see it. All right. I see some of them. All right. Okay. Good, 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 good. Okay. You're going to need that sheet here in just a second. Okay. The verses are on there for you to follow along with. All right. There's some blanks for you to fill in and maybe your parents can help you with that. Parents, The rest of everybody else, now's a great time to open our app. It's called the City Church Lubbock. You can download that in your app store. The verses and the points, everything we're talking about tonight is right there when you click on message notes. But here in just a second, we're going to read through these passages and there's going to be some words. Kids, listen, look at me, look at me. There's going to be some words that are all caps on the screen. And we're going to read it together. And when we come to those words in all caps, I'm going to say one, two, three, and we're going to say it all together out loud. Okay. And kids, if your parents don't participate, you have my permission to elbow them. All right. So here we go. Would you stand in honor of the word of the Lord? And if you're a kid and you need to see a little bit better, step up in your chair so that you can see the, the big screen or the TV and let's read together. Luke chapter one, starting in verse 26th, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a one, two, three, what's this word? 
descendant, a descendant of King David, right? So Mary is married to Joseph or engaged to be married to Joseph. And, and Joseph and Mary are descendants of King David. Verse 28, Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed. Mary's disturbed at this whole thing from the very outset. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and he will be called the son. He will be called the son of the most high. All right, let's keep going. The Lord will give him the, what's that word? Throne of his ancestor, David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. You can sit down. I love history of European Russian monarchies. I, I, I love it. I, I love watching shows and biographies. I, I, I love studying it. And one series, it's a drama series. It's not like real, but, but one drama series about the English monarchy on Netflix is called The Crown. And I, I love that series. It's about the life and reign of Queen Elizabeth II. Queen Elizabeth II was the longest reigning monarch in the world. And she was the longest reigning monarch in all of England's history. And she died this year. Many of you probably saw her funeral and the ceremony on TV. Well, when she died, Patrick Boynes, principal of the British Bible School in England, said this. So with the people from long ago, we, we used to say God save the queen, but now... He said this, but now we say, God save the king. But what we really need, listen to this, but what we really need, we say God save the king, but what we really need is a king who will save us. God save the king, sure. But what we really need is a king who will save us. You know, the, the birth of an heir to the throne can bring a, a stabilizing presence to a kingdom. It can bring even salvation to a kingdom that's in turmoil. When an heir is born, there's oftentimes no more fighting, no more positioning and, and, and posturing, right? It can bring some, some peace. It can bring some unity. It can bring some resolution. But the birth of an heir can also be very disturbing to those who don't get their way, right? To, to those who want to be king, to those who maybe have been jockeying or, or, or positioning to be king or to have someone in their family be king themselves. The, the, the birth of this heir can be disturbing to those who are seeking to be kings themselves. You follow me? Herod, who was a king, was very disturbed by the news of the birth of Jesus. In fact, it angered him. And it angered him so much it led him to authorize the murder of thousands and thousands and thousands of babies all, all throughout the land. Why? Why, why, was, why was Herod so disturbed by the news of Jesus' birth? Well, three reasons. 
Three, three reasons that this news disturbed Herod and it has disturbed people all throughout history. And maybe it's even disturbed you. Number one, Jesus is the promised king. Kids, if you got your sheets, this is where you fill in the blank with these words right here. Jesus is the promised king. If you got your notes, this is where you fill in the blank on the app with these words in all caps. Jesus is the promised king. This was disturbing to Herod. It was disturbing to, to many people in Herod's day. It was disturbing to people all throughout history and maybe disturbing to you because Jesus is the promised king. He's not just some king who's, no, he's the promised king. The angel Gabriel says here in Luke chapter one that Jesus is a descendant of King David. That this is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to David in 2 Samuel chapter seven, when God told David, you will have an heir, you will have someone from your line who will reign on your throne forever, for forever. And so this is God's fulfillment of an ancient promise to King David, that he will have a throne, that there will be a family member in the line of David who will reign on his throne forever. And so the birth of this king in the line of David means that God is giving him the throne of his ancestor David, and that's not gonna sit well with Herod, who himself is a king in this land. You see, Jesus is fully God and fully human. And in his humanity, Jesus has this humanness to his kingdom where he has a throne, where he has a crown. The scripture says he has a scepter and he has subjects. And some people are okay. Some subjects are okay with having a king and, and some aren't, right? Some subjects of the king are okay. They, they rejoice in this king. But some subjects aren't, aren't too happy. It's interesting, though, that since Jesus is this promised king, that when he comes in his first advent, he oftentimes, we, we see him in the gospels, resist being made king. He'll say things like this. No, no, no. It's not my time. My, my kingdom is not of this world. And so the, the, the people would try to make him king and Jesus would resist this, which is confusing. And it's confusing to his followers. And it's confusing to those who would believe in him because they're, they're believing. Hey, you're the, you're the promised king that's going to reign on David's throne. So, so now's the time, right? And they would try to make him king and Jesus would pass through the crowds. And he would resist this position of taking this throne here on earth, at least this time, he would resist being made king. Yet in Matthew 25, Jesus would prophesy of a return when he would come back, he would return for a second advent. And Jesus said, when he returns in Matthew 25, he's going to judge from a great white throne. So, so Jesus is like, hey, now's not my time. I'm resisting being made king in this, in this moment. My, my time hasn't yet come, but make no mistake. I am returning and I'm going to rule and judge and reign from a throne. Because Jesus is the promised king. He's still our promised king, 
that will rule on earth from his throne, the Bible says, in the new Jerusalem that is to come. So Jesus is the promised king. He's still our promised king. Secondly, that this news is disturbing to many, maybe, maybe including some of us, that this news is disturbing because Jesus just isn't the promised king. Jesus is also the king of kings. The king of kings, right? So, so Jesus isn't just a king in a world of many kings. No, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the king of kings. Like not just a king, but the king. Like the king to rule all kings. Abram says this in Luke chapter 1. That Jesus will be the son of the most high. The most high. So, so Jesus is a king. He's this divine. He's not just a human king. He's also a divine God king, which means Jesus, as the king of kings, is going to rule over the kings of the earth. See, this idea of Jesus being the king of kings and lord of lords means that there's no higher authority than Jesus. His reign over all things is absolute as the king of kings, God raised him from the dead and placed him over all things, the scripture says. Ephesians 1 says this, that God raised him from the dead. He placed him over all things, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Ephesians 1 says this, and he, God, put all things under his feet. Jesus is the king of kings. All things will be put under his feet. Hebrews says it like this, that the earth and everything in it will be his footstool, where Jesus rests his feet. Because all things are subject to the king of kings. Hebrews 1 verse 2 says that the son of God has been appointed by God, heir of all things. All things belong and are subject to the king of kings. Hebrews 2.9 says it like this. When, what, do we, what do we see? We, we, we see Jesus, who was a little, for a little while, given a position of a little lower than the angels, Hebrews says. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. So Jesus is a crown as the king of kings of glory and, and honor. Jesus would say, even on his time here on earth, in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus would say, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. All authority. There, there is no authority that exists outside of my authority, Jesus would say. Philippians 2, Paul would say it like this. He has the name that is above every name. The name that's above every name. He is the king of kings. Jesus is the king of kings that's going to reign forever, Gabriel said. Did you notice that? that he's got this eternal kingdom and that he's going to reign forever. So Jesus is this eternal cosmic king. He's not just a, a human king and he's not just a, a God king for like a certain period of time. No, he's this eternal cosmic king forever. In Revelation chapter 17, verses 12 through 14, it says that the lamb, that's Jesus, conquers all those arrayed against him and John stresses that he conquers because he is king of kings and lord of lords. 
In chapter 19 of Revelation, we read of Jesus' triumphant coming to strike down the nations and dole out the wrath of God. See, sometimes, depending upon kind of how we are bent or what our political affiliations are or whatever, we kind of see Jesus and we, we look at Jesus and we think of like as my Jesus and my Jesus would do this and he would never do this and my Jesus would say this and he, he would never say this. Listen, oftentimes we, we don't have a very complete view of Jesus. We've got a meme version or a meme understanding that we get of social that we get from social media of Jesus, and then the, the full counsel of the Word of God gives us kind of this whole completely other side of Jesus that you just you, you can't put in a meme. And it's so important for us to know the full counsel of God's word because in Revelation, we find out that Jesus is going to return just like he promised in Matthew 25, and he will dole out judgment and wrath from his throne, having the authority to do so because once again, he's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. One scholar said it like this, when Jesus is called king of kings and lord of lords, it means that in the end, all other rulers will be conquered or abolished. He alone will reign supreme as king and lord of all the earth. There is no power, no king, and no lord who can oppose Jesus. Which means not one of us No matter how big and bad and strong you think you are, no matter how smart or conservative or liberal or whatever you think you, you will never be able to oppose Jesus. As King of Kings and Lord of all are subject to him. All things are under his feet. There is nothing that can oppose him and win. Revelation 21 and 22, we see this picture that, that John gets of a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem that's going to come down out of heaven to earth on this new earth where it says Jesus is going to reign forever on his throne. And it says this in Revelation, I love this, the throne of God and of the lamb, that's Jesus, will be in this city and his servants will serve him because he's king of kings and he's lord of lords so jesus is the promised king secondly jesus is the king of kings he's not just a king he's the king of all kings right and, and third this is what's maybe even most disturbing is that you might say okay that's great you may think he's your king right he, he's the christian king he's the king for the nation of israel and, and and for all these christians right they think he's the king of kings but here's here's the here's the third point here's the thing the third thing you got to catch about jesus being king because he's king of kings here's what this means Number three, Jesus is your king. That's disturbing. Like, regardless of where you're at spiritually, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, here's what the Bible teaches. Jesus is your king. Like, like, you got to understand this. You don't make him king. 
You follow me? Nobody makes him king. He is king. He is your king. Every last one of us, every last person on the face of this planet that's ever existed, he's your king. How many of you have seen the movie Monty Python? Let me, let me see a show of hands. Monty Python, old movie, probably most of us older generation. Okay, uh, a lot of us have. Some of you, you don't want to raise your hand because you're in church and you think you can't be honest, okay? Uh, I, I'm not recommending this movie at all, okay? I'm just, just going to point out something in, in the movie that was very funny, but it just, it just works, okay? So, so at one point in the movie, King Arthur comes up upon these servants who are in the mud, right? And they're making these, these bricks. And he says, he's talking to, to these people and he comes up he says hey old lady and this man says I'm not a lady and he says okay well old man and he says well I'm not old I'm 37 right and uh, Arthur's like well okay whatever and they ask who he is and he says well I'm Arthur I'm your king and the, and the, the man says no, you're not my king I didn't vote for you and Arthur says this it matters not I am your king right See, the, the, the scripture gives us this picture, that this, this truth that Jesus is your king. You don't make him king. He is your king. Acts chapter 2 says this. Paul, Peter says, he's preaching to this group of thousands. And he says this in Acts chapter 2. God has made him Lord in Christ. God has made him king. God has made him king of kings and Lord of lords. You don't make him king. God has made Jesus king. We've already seen this in Hebrews chapter 1 and chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 1. That it's God who makes Jesus king and puts all things under his feet. And you, every last one of you, myself, we are a part of all things. Jesus has put, or God has put all things under the feet of Jesus, he is your king, whether you realize it or not. Now, we, we make, we elevate certain things to the status of like king in our own hearts and in our own lives. All of us have, every single one of us. Like, like there are other things that are vying for your obedience and your adherence and your submission other than Jesus, we, we all do this. There's all things in our lives that, that we're bowing down to rather than to our king. And so the, the question is, who or what like, is practically like in your day-to-day -day life king? You might think, oh, I don't, I don't have a king. No, no, you do. You do, your, your, your life, your, your, your day, like you are bowing down to something. You're giving yourself to something. Some of us would say, well, it's Jesus. Really? Really? Jesus is, is your king? Like you've abdicated the throne, you, you've handed over the the keys to the car, right? You're, you're, you're following, you're obeying Jesus. You're denying yourself, taking up your cross, following him, doing whatever he says, submitting every area of your life to the kingship and lordship of Christ. Is he, is he really king? You see, 
in America, we've kind of developed this version of Christianity where you mentally assent to some truths, like you, you kind of agree with some doctrine. You, you show up maybe once a month, but you don't really abdicate the throne of your life. You don't fully surrender to your king. And, and the, the scripture would say that Jesus would say this to you. You're deceiving yourself. You're, you're deceiving yourself into thinking you're something you're not. If you haven't abdicated like the throne of your heart and of your life to Jesus and fully surrendered to him, you're bowing down to him. Jesus, you are Lord, you are master. Whatever you say goes. Like, like if that's not true, like in your daily life and you're bowing down still to like sports and entertainment and, and, and school and money and power and position and prestige and stuff, You might think, you might say, and you might wear a mask that says, yeah, sure, Jesus is my king, but you're not really backing that up with your life because you still do what you want to do. See, this is disturbing, right? I, it should be. It's disturbing to me. Like, let's be honest. Let's get real. Like, that kind of king, like that's disturbing. That Jesus is your king. Well, you, you don't make him that. God has made him that. And so Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 says this, Therefore, God has elevated him to the place of highest honor, and God has given him the name above all, our, all other names. God has made him king. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee should, what's this word? Bow. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is king to the glory of God the Father. And so every single one of us today have a choice. You have a choice. Jesus is the promised king. Jesus is the king of kings. Jesus is your king, but, but you have a choice. Here's the choice. You can bow up or you can bow down. And, and, and all of us are making this choice like on a daily basis, right? All of us are making this choice. We're, we're either bowing up, doing things our way as king of our own world, we're either bowing up or we're bowing down and saying, Jesus, no, you're my king. You're, you're, you're the promised king. You're the king of kings. You're, you're, my, you're my king. And I acknowledge that and I bow my knee and I confess that you are Lord. You are my king. Every one of us have a choice to, to bow up or to bow down. Herod bowed up. This news was disturbing to him. And so Herod bowed up. Herod was so disturbed by the word of another king. He, he was so threatened by this king because Herod understood this. There can only be one king. There can only be one king. That there's only room for one king. And in his pride, here's what Herod said. He, he bowed up. No, 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 no. 
I'm king. Forget this promised king. Forget this so-called king of kings, like thinks that he's going to be my king. Yeah, right. And Herod bowed up and now he said, no, 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 I'm king. And that pride destroyed him. Because the scripture says pride comes before the what? The fall. The fall. But bowing up only leads to your demise. It leads to your destruction. And that's what happened with Herod. He, he bowed up and it destroyed him. You see, the, the root of all evil, the root of all sin is this desire inside all of us to be king, like of our own little world, of our own little kingdom. It was the first temptation. Remember what Satan told Adam and Eve? Hey, if you take and eat, you're gonna be made just like God. You get to be king. You do things your way, you ignore the word of God, do things your way, you get to be king. And what happened to Adam and Eve? It ruined them. That promise was a mirage. It was an empty trick that you could actually be king. It was a trick. It was a, a mirage. That, that, <laughs> that offer can never come through on its promise because there is a king and his name is Jesus. This, this sin and this evil in us is this, it's this rebellion against the king. It's a usurping of the king. It's treason against the king, the son of God. Herod thought that through death, he could stop Christmas. But here's what God knew. God knew that through Christmas and through his son taking on flesh, dying in our place for our sin, rising from the grave, conquering our sin, conquering our death. Here's what God, Herod thought that through death he could stop Christmas, but God knew that through Christmas, he would stop death. God save the king? No, 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 no. We need a king who will save us. And that's what God did. That's the Christmas story. God sent a king who would die for his enemies so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could have a relationship with God, so that we could go to heaven when we die. No, God knew that through Christmas he would stop death itself. Herod bowed up, but the Magi, these wise men from the East, they would come and they wouldn't bow up. They would bow down. They would bow down and they would offer these gifts to this newborn king. And, and, and here's what happens when you bow down to the king of kings. The Bible says you're, you're, you're born again. Like when you bow down for the very first time to the king of kings, like when you, when you bow down for the first time, the Bible says you're, you're born again. And, and the, the first time you were, you were born, you were born into your own physical family and, and there was some, some right, benefits or, or maybe, or, or not depending on what family you're born into, okay? When you're born again spiritually, when you bow down to Jesus, you're born again into this new spiritual royal 
family. You see, when you're a Christian, when you give your life to Jesus, when you bow down to Jesus, you're you're born again and you're adopted by the grace of God because of your faith in Jesus into a royal family. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you are royalty. You're royalty. Watch this. Galatians chapter four says says this, but when the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. We were slaves to the law and to sin and to death so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba or father. And so now you are no longer a slave, but you are God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. You're his heir, just like Jesus is the heir of all things. You're you're now a co-heir of all that is Jesus's because you were born again into a royal family. Romans 8, 17 says it like this. Now, if we are children, which we saw in Galatians 4, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Being a co-heir of Christ means that we are God's adopted children, that we share in the inheritance of Jesus. It means whatever belongs to Jesus belongs to us. It means that just as as Christ has received glory and honor, Christ is going to give us his glory. It says in John chapter 17, his riches and all the things that are his are now ours in Christ. All that belongs to Jesus will belong to us, the co-heirs. And so if you've been born again into this royal family, it means you're a part of something so much bigger than yourself. So, so much bigger than anything this world has to offer. You're, you're a part of this eternal kingdom that will never go away. Hebrews 12 says it like this. We've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Everything else in this world, everything you've got can be shaken. But Hebrews 12 says that as a royal member, as a royal child in God's family, you've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so here's what that means, Christian, that regardless of how you see yourself, regardless of your past, you are royalty. You're a royal child of God. It's why in the Narnia series by C.S. Lewis, all the kids are princes and princesses because they're royalty. But the first crown this king wore was a crown of thorns. All throughout human history, as far back as recorded time and doubtless before that, like kings, princes, tribal chiefs, presidents, dictators have sent their subjects into battle to die for them. Only once in human history has a king not sent his subjects to die for him, but instead, died for his subjects, for his enemies. What kind of king dies for his enemies? Three days later, he rose from the grave. A month later, he ascends to his throne in heaven. And it says he's crowned with glory. And as 
co-heirs with Christ, here's what you gotta catch. His crowns, plural, become your crowns. His crowns become your crowns. You see, following Jesus means first wearing the crown of thorns, dying to yourself as king, humbling yourself, abdicating the throne of your life and saying, Jesus, you're, you're my king. That's the crown of thorns. That when you make that decision, and for those of us that have, you are born again. You are raised to new life in Christ and you receive the crown of glory that Jesus shares with you. I mean, what kind of king dies for his enemies and what kind of king shares his crown with his subjects? What kind of king is this? Well, here's my challenge for you tonight. It's to say this, it's to confess this. The king is my king. The king is my king. From about 1014 to 1035 AD, ruling over England was this Danish king named Canute. King Canute was tired of hearing his court flatter him with extravagant praises of his greatness, his power, his invincibility. And so he ordered his chair, his throne, to be set down on the seashore where he commanded the waves to not come and wet him. No matter how forcefully he ordered the tide not to come in, his order was not obeyed. Soon the waves were lapping around his chair and all over him. One historian tells us that therefore he never wore his crown again, but he hung it on a statue of the crucified Christ. Saying, I may be a king, like I may be this little king in this world, but Jesus, you, you are the king of kings. In the middle ages, subjects of the king would kneel before him. They would close their hands and they would place their hands inside their king's hands. And in doing so, here's what the subject was saying. They, they were saying, I'm your man, I'm, I'm your woman, I belong to you, I'm loyal to you, my allegiance is with you, I will serve you, I will die for you. This ceremony was called the homage ceremony where you would come and pay homage to your king. You would kneel before your king and you would hold your hands up and your king would place his hands around your hands. Well, Christians begin to realize that they served a heavenly king with much more authority, with much more power, and that when they pray, they were coming to the throne of God. And so they begin to pray in the same manner, knees bowed and hands up. Scholars tells us that's where we got this position of prayer, where we got praying hands today. It came from the homage ceremony. Your head bowed, your hands together, placing your hands in the nail-scarred hands of King Jesus, saying, I'm your servant. I'm following you. I'm worshiping you. you be I belong to you. All that I have belongs to you. I'll die for you, Jesus. You are my king. Would you pray with me? Tonight, maybe there's some of you who have never made that decision to give your life to Jesus. To abdicate the throne of your life for the very first time and to give your life to Jesus. And if you've never made that decision before, I wanna tell you tonight is your night. T today is the day to abdicate the throne of your life and to give your life 
to King Jesus. And if that's you and you wanna make that decision, I just wanna challenge you, jump on our app, fill out our connect form and let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus today. And so for some of you, that needs to be your decision. For others of us who've made that decision, maybe tonight we need to once again say, Jesus, you're my King. We need to bow our knee. We need to bow our head. We need to place our hands up into the nail scarred hands of King Jesus all over again and say, Jesus, I'm your man, I'm your woman, I'm following you, I'm serving you, I'm worshiping you, I'm abdicating the throne of my life. It's yours, it's always been yours, but I'm acknowledging that I'm not gonna bow up anymore. I'm bowing down tonight to my King. God, I pray that right now and as we sing that your spirit would work in our hearts, that you would humble us, God, that we might humble ourselves to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that we might acknowledge that you have received a throne and a crown and a scepter and a reign that will never end because Jesus, you are the son of the most high. You're the promised King. You're the King of Kings. You're my King, Holy Spirit. Do the work in our hearts that needs to be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as our team leads us in worship?